0: Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very well-known author from Atlanta, Georgia, USA, Mr. Chris Stuff. Chris, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Thank you. Chris is a national best-selling author of Two books, The Millennial Whisperer and Save Your He's also a keynote speaker. Uh, he has worked directly with Mark Zuckerberg. So uh, Chris, before we get into discussions on your books, tell me a little bit about your own journey, and sure. uh, maybe a few lines on what it was like to work with an icon like Mark Zuckerberg.
1: Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I think is important. I'm the youngest of six kids. Mm-hmm. I'm an identical twin, also married to an identical twin. Wow. And you know, I think part of what came out of that is the I, I've always been obsessed obsessed with connection and human behavior. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my major at Vanderbilt University was applied human psychology. But after graduating from Vanderbilt, I, uh, I I didn't get my first job until my 65th job interview. And it wow. just so happened. Lucky 65th mm-hmm. was uh, right as digital and social media. Well, digital media was coming back from the mm-hmm. dot-com bus because it was 2003. And uh, it was at this very small firm that we grew. I was the 13th employee there. And then we grew to about 400. And I made I was very much a millennial and mm. even though I'm an Xer right on the cusp mm. and I, I made a lot of job moves until I found my sweet spot in 2006 in this emerging social, it was kind of a merging of social media and creative. And it was right then, if people remember, uh, it was right at that time that Facebook was moving from just colleges and universities to the general public correct and so on behalf of one of our largest clients verizon we actually helped build some of the first social media products Mm -hmm. for verizon wireless some which didn't get the best press and we Mm -hmm. had to take them down and iterate Mm -hmm. but it was actually through that 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 was really my first taste of where passion purpose and profession all overlap Mm -hmm. ridiculous things tend to happen Mm -hmm. and you ask about my interactions with Mark Zuckerberg I had one dinner with Mark Zuckerberg and uh, once again that was in 2006 2007 and there was almost zero conversation between Mm us Um, and it was you know before he worked on his interpersonal skills um, so it was a very quiet dinner in that respect but Mm -hmm. one of the neat things that what drew me to this space originally, social media, was this connection that and the statement or mission that Zuckerberg set out to do, which was to make the world a more connected place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And no, now it. you look at what I'm doing, you know, I'm not doing much in the social and digital media mm-hmm. world. I'm I'm doing the same thing with the found, my foundation being more authentic connection. And what's interesting is that social media. And uh, in a lot of circles, is now interpreted as one of those things that's actually the opposite of that authentic connection. So kind of come full circle in a different way. Absolutely
0: fantastic. So let's now talk about your first book, which is, or well, your your latest book, which is "Save Your Asks," and then we'll come to the other one. Sure. Tell me about your book.
1: Sure. So when the pandemic hit, uh, like a lot of people, I, I wasn't sure how long it was going to last. And and one of the rules that I tell anyone willing to listen is that, you know, the two greatest traits that I'm trying to bring up in both myself as well as my 10 and 12 year old daughters are resilience and tenacity Mm -hmm. and my two hour rule is that when something doesn't go your way you can dwell on it but then Mm -hmm. you got to bounce back Mm -hmm. and I actually right as the pandemic hit I was supposed to be at Nike headquarters with Heidi O'Neill their new president Mm -hmm. doing an all-hands keynote there and Heidi's assistant called me was like Chris we don't know what's going to happen with this mm. whole thing. Uh, so it's off. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, well, there goes my huge at bat with uh, Nike. Uh, and I'd done a, a, a bunch of smaller speeches with them up until then. I'm like, so what is it? How do I practice this two hour rule? So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this this stinks, but how do I bounce back? And I looked in myself, I said, I, said, I, I don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. So mm. I'm going to use it as an opportunity to write my second book. Mm. And if... I were to ask myself, what is the one book I was born to write? You mm-hmm. learn a lot as you know after your first book and your Correct. second book. And well, and now you're you've done you keep doing it, right? Mm-hmm. But the one book that I felt like I was meant to write is really around how to better network and sell. And mm-hmm. I wanted to make the title a call to action. Mm-hmm. of people saving their asks. If yeah. we could approach any interaction with the mm-hmm. desired outcome, just being authentic connection versus mm-hmm. reciprocity, mm-hmm. then that's something that's a game changer. And I always get asked by my network, my YPO group, whoever it is, Chris, how do you network so effectively? Mm-hmm. And so I actually did a, a, a guest lecture at Vanderbilt. It was the highest rated guest lecture of the year And it was all about how to better network and sell. And it was titled actually how to network like a mofo. Mm. And um, I took a lot of the premise of that. And that was what created the foundation that would then take me about two and a half years to write. And why it took so long Mm -hmm. to write was that I started meeting the most amazing people from, Mm. you know, uh, one of my favorite stories from Savior asks is uh, how I open up my keynote. And um, this gentleman, he's about fifty-six years old. He's mm. from Tahiti, mm. and he was introduced to me as the greatest connector of billionaires and A-list celebrities in the world.
0: Okay, and
1: he's this fifty-six-year-old Tahitian, and his mm. job is to teach people how to get up on Kelly Slater's this pro surfer's yeah. man-made wave in California. Mm. Mm. And his name is Raymana and Mm -hmm. I connected, I interviewed with Raymana, I interviewed him and uh, I, he was introduced to me as someone that it was six minutes into this very successful entrepreneur's connection with Raymana. Mm -hmm. He was about to go into his first wave at Surf Ranch and Raymana just turned to him in the pool and put his hand on his heart. He looked into his eyes. He said, I love you, brother. Just Mm -hmm. breathe. Just Mm -hmm. breathe. Mm -hmm. And he said, ever since then, now eight years later, they have this bond that is impenetrable. Right. And so when I asked Raymond about that, he goes, <clears throat> ah, yes, Chris, yes, yes, yes. Now don't tell our friends Jason this, but I tell that to everyone when I'm teaching them how to <laughs> surf. And I'm like, I love it. But he goes, Absolutely. I mean two things by it. Take mm-hmm. in this moment, forget about your big job, take mm-hmm. in this moment and just breathe, right? I mean, it's gonna be probably one of the best waves you've ever caught. And the second thing is, is that you might miss probably what will be the most epic wave in your life. If you do Mm -hmm. the math on it, it's about $10,000 a wave here. So I want you to at least walk away with a smile on your face. (laughs) And I open up this story of Raymana. The reason why he is connected to all of these untouchables, whether it be Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew McConaughey, you name it. He's on a first name basis with all these people because he goes in with just the desired outcome of an amazing experience and an Mm. authentic connection. Mm. So what if we all approach networking and sales with that same mentality and we gave up all of the ways that we've been trained, which I say is mostly, it makes you an asshole where Mm -hmm. you end up going in for the ask way too early. You know this, so well, how many people reach out to you without doing any really research and they're Mm. just like, Hey will you get put me on your podcast mm. or can I can I send you some ideas for a startup that yeah. I need you to fund and it's like wait 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 you mm. just went in for the ask way too early what if we actually retrained absolutely all of us mm. to save our asks and really just go in with that desired outcome like raymana just authentic mm. connection oh
0: brilliant what a great thought thank you for an amazing response but since you now mentioned about uh, you know, comment you made about a talk that you gave on how does one network better? Mm. I'm going to ask you the same question for my viewers listeners. How does one network better?
1: So one of the biggest themes, so I interviewed, I think, over 60 people mm. through that pandemic. And they all walks of life, all types of jobs, all mm. types of sales cycles. And the biggest theme that I found was that creating relationships is easy. Mm-hmm. Right. You meet someone you create, you know, you, you meet them and then it's actually sustaining them. That is so difficult. Mm-hmm. How do you sustain and deepen a relationship? And mm-hmm. one of the five tactics I actually talk a lot about in my keynote mm-hmm. is um is is this idea of what I call Shawshank mm-hmm. And if you remember Shawshank Redemption, have you, have you yeah, seen I Shawshank Redemption? I have. So it was actually introduced to me after I'd signed one of the biggest deals of my life. And mm-hmm. it was with a gentleman who I'd met in the early days of Facebook. And I turned to him and I said, listen, Jason, as a sales guy, I'm just interested in how you pinned me down. Like, I'm mm-hmm. impossible to get in touch with. Like, how did you, here we are signing the biggest deal of both of our lives. Like, how'd you do it? Mm-hmm. He goes, Chris, you really want to know? I go, yeah. He Mm. goes, I Shawshanked you. I was like, what is that? Mm. He goes, well, if you remember in Shawshank Redemption, Mm -hmm. Andy Dufresne, the main character, in order for him to get the library funded for Shawshank Prison, he actually wrote a letter a week. Mm. And he never heard back from the prison board until two years later, he got his first check for $200 for the first installment of books but he didn't stop there. He kept writing, he actually started writing two letters a week and it was Mm. 10 years later when he escaped Shawshank prison, he had the nicest library in the whole prison system. He goes, Chris, every single week since I met you five years ago, Mm. I have sent you a note. Every single week, it's been on Instagram message, it's been on Facebook, it's been on text, not once have I gone in for an ask. And we then developed and deepened that relationship to where when you put this RFP out to bid, i was there and i ended up winning it i was like that is the most brilliant thing i've ever Mm. heard and tactically how i practice this and where i've seen the greatest return for listeners out there Mm. is take this same concept of shawshanking one of your prospects Mm. and think about someone who you've fallen out of touch with Mm. and i want you to send a video text message to that person Mm. just telling them that you're thinking about them right now all right that first person that comes to mind And I actually do this during my keynotes. I'll either have them text. It's a lot more profound if you do a video text message. Mm -hmm. So when I do these YPO groups outside, I'll have them do that. I'll have them go in their own area and send a video text message Mm -hmm. to someone they've fallen out of touch with. Mm -hmm. And what happens there is that human connection comes through that video so much more profound than just words. Mm -hmm. And you reignite a relationship for the Mm -hmm. first time ever with mm. only the desired outcome of just mm-hmm. authentic connection. And what happens is if you were to actually survey all those people, there will be millions of dollars of business created mm. off of that
0: reignition of that relationship. Wow. Wow. And
1: so that's, that to me is that's just one one of the greatest things. And I love from, I
0: love your story of the Shawshank Redemption. You know, one yeah. never about how one can actually draw a letter from a guy writing a letter every week for our prison library, but thank you. This is amazing. Uh Chris, let's now talk about your other book, The Millennial Whisperer. Uh, yes. what was your hypothesis for this book?
1: So I have uh there are a lot of speakers and authors out there that are mm. professors, right? Mm. And they don't really have tactical, um, hands-on experience. So mm. I didn't I never intended to write a book, mm-hmm. and uh it was actually after I had hit a rock bottom myself where Mm -hmm. I I reinvented everything that I was about um, in 2016. And it was seven months after some of those big changes that I had applied in my life. One of those being that I was no longer that passionate about digital and social media. So Mm -hmm. I had to evolve it. And so I put all of my efforts into my 400 employees at my Mm -hmm. firm where Mm -hmm. I was a partner. And it was the most rewarding experience of my life. And it was seven months after that, I was actually at a YPO retreat. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, I introduced myself to these other entrepreneurs. Uh, and I didn't know how to introduce myself. And mm-hmm. off the cuff, I said, I don't really know what I do anymore. I'm Chris Tuff. I have a firm of 400 people. And I'm kind of like the millennial whisper. Mm-hmm. I then shared my story and sat down by the fire. And, you know, the average entrepreneur age being like 50, 55 years old, They look at me around that fire and they go, so Chris, man, I I don't get these millennials in those Gen Zers. Like we have no idea what to do with them. And then another guy chimes in and he's like, man, this is the worst generation ever. They're so entitled and needy. I actually had to come up with, uh new titles for half of our people our vice presidents or above just to keep them what do you do mm-hmm. and i started telling them some of the tactics that i use and mm-hmm. at the foundation of it is once again this authentic connection taking a vested interest in your Correct. your team's lives and asking them not only how they're doing in their job but how they're doing as a human mm-hmm. and debunking a lot of those myths and so a guy then uh, who's leading the retreat turned to me and he goes, Chris, you got to write that book. Mm. And so, and then I dove into the data and I actually partnered with Vanderbilt University um, and we used over 72 data points to then create both the hypotheses Mm. or back the hypotheses. And then I interviewed um, profound stories that were memorable. And Mm. then um, what's interesting is then the pandemic hit, and it only catalyzed everything that was in that book. It was about uh, four months ago. I got a call from my publisher saying that it was a bestseller again because all the stuff that was in mm. the book is
0: actually more true now than it ever was before. Fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. And do share a, a few of the myths and how are these debunked?
1: Yeah. So I mean, some of the biggest pieces, and there are, some of them aren't myths, right? So mm. what are the myths that are are actually real? Well, one is they are more needy. And, and that comes down to how they were parented. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the younger millennials, so 35 and under and mm-hmm. younger uh, and into Gen Zers, they were, uh, they, they got participation trophies at every single turn. And mm-hmm. so when they come into our organizations, not only are they more needy in terms of the recognition, but you also mm-hmm. have the influence of social media, right? So anytime they wanted any of that instant gratification, They posted to social media and they got it. And so Mm. we've got to accommodate for that um, Mm. within our own four walls. Um, But we also, it's up to us to not only be the boss, Mm. but also to be a mentor and coach to them. Mm. And when they don't feel like their leaders are taking a vested interest in their lives and developing them, Mm. continuous learning being one of those super important things, not Mm. just within that person's domain of expertise at your organization but also outside of that right all of these things are essential and so that's one of the biggest pieces and what i work with a lot of these larger and small organizations Mm, around mm, is mm. there are really three characteristics that millennials or gen zers are looking for in leadership and Mm. that is inspirational leadership autonomy and transparency those Mm. are the three key ones On an organizational level, it's increasing our understanding of what work flexibility means, Mm -hmm. not just working from wherever you want to work. How do you expand that to be more of a choose-your-own-adventure for younger employees, Mm -hmm. as well as pay and benefits and how those are uh, uh, given and educated to our employees. So those are kind of the five key areas that I work with. Very interesting, very
0: interesting. So now I'm going to now move to another area that you've done work on, which is the great resignation. Sure. So when I was reading about you, uh, one of the points that you uh, talk about is a a fulfilling culture is a byproduct of authentically connecting. And the great resignation is the result of that need not being met. Mm. Uh, Help me understand this uh, quote from you. And please use an example.
1: Sure so one thing about culture so statistically speaking culture never came up in any of the surveys until millennials started to fill it out i Mm. mean it wasn't even in the top 20 with Xers and boomers right Mm. and so i think it's first understanding what is culture Mm. right and culture comes from your people right Mm. it's based on your values it's based on your mission but culture is an ever-evolving thing that comes from your employees. Mm. It's not a top-down thing. And one of my favorite examples of this is actually what I use around this uh, leadership trait of autonomy. Mm. And uh, it was actually uh, a guy who was voted or called out by Forbes magazine as the uh, the best boss for millennials and Gen Zers. And his, mm-hmm. he's, I started asking him about autonomy and he he. He said, Chris, have you ever seen the Under Armour commercial Protect This House? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I think so. Tell me more. Well, he's like, okay, well, it's this rah-rah video of the team getting together. And Mm. it's the coach or the leader in the team saying, it's up to you guys to protect this house. This is our Mm. house to protect. So first, you got to ask yourself, Mm. do you have a house worth protecting? So that when you push down the responsibility to your employees and team members that they will actually run with it. If you do not have a house worth protecting, you've got a culture problem that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. If you do have a house worth protecting, it's up to you, whether it be unlimited paid vacation or even a bad culture fit, have them spit that person out. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's you know one of the most important pieces of culture and one of the easiest places that we can go tactically to reinforce culture is with rewards and recognition. Mm. and we need top down rewards and recognition and we need peer to peer rewards and recognition and it's actually from that that you start to see the biggest uplift because what happens and what's what's going on in the marketplace is people mm. are throwing money at the wrong things mm. They're coming up with, you know, I talked to someone, they created a cereal bar along with a barista and they're like, it's not working. I'm like, yeah, because you're throwing money at the wrong stuff. Correct. Instead, you've got to really put your time into your people and allow them mm. the, once again, autonomy to start running with this and developing the culture themselves because mm. culture isn't installing beer kegs. It's, mm. it's having a team that actually wants to have beer, and sodas together, Mm. right? That to me is where the magic happens.
0: Well said. So time for two more questions. And my next question continues on culture, where again, to quote you, uh, how can leaders get proactive about company culture that helps employees foster fulfillment and joy in the workplace?
1: So the greatest uh, learning that I got out of doing three works of uh, three years of this hands on um, consulting with companies with the Millennial Whisperer, mm. is mm. that the younger you get, the more of an expectation, especially from 35 and younger, mm. the more of an expectation that passions will be itched within your own four walls. Mm. And we can talk about why that is. Mm. A lot of it is how they were parented. Mm. Um, but for whatever reason, we've got to accommodate for that. Mm -hmm. And one of the more controversial things that I talk about is um, I encourage leaders to follow their people on social media, right? Mm -hmm. And so that I call it the art of the flyby. So that on that Monday morning, you go by Meg's desk. You're like, Meg, that kitten you adopted is Mm -hmm. adorable. And that trip Mm -hmm. you just took. Amazing. Where did you go? They're like, Mm -hmm. wow, like Mm -hmm. Mr. Tufts actually taking an interest in me. Right. And so it's actually using some of those pieces to develop more of that authentic connection, as well as ensuring that passions are being itched. And as we look at this need for continuous learning, which is also one of those kind of top four things that millennials and Gen Zers are looking for out of their job, Mm. we've got to expand it outside of what just their work purview is and match it to more of where their passions and purpose are. So one of the things I work with anyone on my team is that I actually help them define their purpose and put a stake in the ground around Mm. defining that purpose. But then as we look at that compared to their job description, I'll actually help them with innovation projects that Mm. might fuel the larger ecosystem or nonprofits that they can partner with to Mm. then expand the development within that key area of passions. Fascinating.
0: And my last question to you now, Chris, and this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. Based on your own amazing journey, your incredible learnings, your through your books and all the great work that you've done, what would you say are three learnings or three lessons you would want our viewers and listeners to take away?
1: Number one is what I think the most important question we can ask anyone Mm. sitting across from us whether that be someone you're trying to recruit to your firm it might be an employee on your team or Mm. it might be a waiter or waitress you have in a restaurant the Mm. most important question we can ask that person Mm. as you develop that relationship is what's your dream Mm. what fires you up when we can do one thing to help that person take a step towards it that's where authentic is authentic connection is created Number two is that we have to start developing more of that authentic connection in our day-to-day.
0: Yeah, and,
1: I uh, and I call it a race to the middle, which is a race to find that common passion point between two people. Yeah. But it's actually curiosity that ends up being the greatest tool to get there. So mm-hmm. ask those questions. Take a mm-hmm. genuine interest in that person sitting across from you, whether it be an employee, once again, or a prospect mm-hmm. that you're trying to sell to and start making that asking those questions you'll actually end up being Mm -hmm. able to create more of that authentic connection Mm -hmm. and then the third thing is just do something the worst Mm -hmm. thing that we can all do within our organizations is the same thing and the one thing that i run up against time and time again is one simple uh mental kind of barricade which is well i had to do it this Mm -hmm. way why don't they Mm -hmm. and so overcome that by just Practicing one of these things and implementing it in your organization, and you're going to end up seeing a huge difference, not only in people's performance but mm-hmm. also in your fulfillment. Mm.
0: Mm. Well said. And on that note, Chris, and your three wonderful lessons: what ask people what is your dream, uh, what fires you up. I think that's such a powerful statement. The second one was develop a more authentic connection with whoever you may interact with. And the third one, which is so simple, and yet people don't think about is do something. Thank you for so much for talking to me. Thank you for talking to me about both your books, Savior Asks and The Millennial Whisperer. Thank you for talking to me about all the work you are doing with YPOs uh, around the world. Thank you for talking to me about the Great Resignation and for sharing such amazing thoughts with me. Good luck and all the best. Just search for The Brand Called You.